0: We want to welcome Joel warmly, so would you uh, just w- w- welcome him as he comes up and shares from the Word of God this morning.
1: Thanks, Joel. Good to see you. Um, thank you for your warm welcome. Um, it's always a privilege to get uh, introduced in comparison to my dad. I am sprightly, and I'm also a lot slimmer, just want to point that out, although not as much of a difference in our slimness is there, as there normally is, because I've been in North America for a week, which uh, <laughs> doesn't ever help my waistline. I told my wife, I'll come home a bigger man <laughs> um, in many ways. And and that was accentuated. I, I came over to uh, uh, Chicago um, uh, just last beginning of last weekend. And then we've been in Ottawa for a couple of days this last week, and then flew into Fredericton yesterday morning. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of moving around. Uh, i wasn 't feeling too well for half the week, a bit of a flu thing or something um, so i didn 't get my normal uh, decathlon exercise in every day that I normally do, uh, but got a lot of food shoveled at me because everyone in North America is gifted in hospitality so so I feel very spoiled and very blessed and uh, i 'm just enjoying enjoying this time so much. Thank you for your welcome it 's good to be here um, i 've been uh, asked to, to, to speak, um, uh, but I'm going to actually be asking uh, uh, my friend Richard Crosby in a moment to get up to do some of the speaking towards the end of, of what I have to say. Um, I'm, I'm from a church in Brighton, uh, which many of you will know and some of you may have been to Brighton on the south coast of England. Uh, we've had a, a, a legacy of church planting globally over the last generation with hundreds of churches uh, as part of the new frontiers movement of churches that Fredericton, uh, Christ Central Fredericton is a part of, and uh, we've, we've had a, a tr- an awesome story, truly an awesome story of God's uh, activity amongst us as churches, uh, seeing new churches established all around the world, uh, including here in Canada, and um, we're kind of in a, a second wave as a movement. New frontiers uh, is in a second wave of leadership. It's a second generation of leaders, and now there are multiple bases from which church planting is starting all over again. And uh, and so uh, we find ourselves a bit like you at a stage in our history where we're thinking, okay, uh, God's blessed us. God's given us a church that's been established here in this locality. Um, is that just for us here in this locality, or is there a plan? In God's heart for us to multiply and to bless other cities beyond and so uh, we, we believe the answer to that is yes or the latter <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we committed both to mission here in our, in our given locations like Fredericton or Brighton in my case but also to starting new churches in other cities as God begins to lead us and enlarge us uh, to lengthen our cords and strengthen our stakes which I believe is a passage that's meant a lot to you uh, as it has to us. In recent seasons, Rich Crosby actually uh, was with uh, was in Fredericton for much of his life. He's from here, uh, proper Canadian, uh, he came over to the UK on Dave Fellingham's uh, invitation partly, and spent spent time in the Brighton Church that Dave, uh, who you know had been an elder with for a long time, and uh, became a great friend of ours. Got married to a wonderful woman, Natalia, who is also here. And uh, they have a daughter, Zara, who's very young and very cute and very fun to share a plane with, which isn't something you normally say about a little girl <laughs> that, that age and that size, but she's, she's a lot of fun. And, uh, and it's, it's been brilliant traveling with them on this trip. The reason we're here is actually because Rich and Natalia have felt stirred by God to go church planting themselves. And the city they're targeting is your capital, Ottawa. So uh, it is a huge privilege for, for us Uh, back in the UK, to be training them, um, preparing them, helping to support them. And later this year, the plan is November, uh, sending them uh, right into the heart of that key city to help establish a mighty church. That was the most fantastic sneeze I've ever heard. (laughs) There was power in that sneeze. I'm feeling the anointing right now. That helps me on my way. I don't know who it was, but it was mighty. Um, So we're kind of... We're kind of getting ready to send them, and it's a big deal for us. We're going to lose uh, a couple who have meant an enormous amount to us, uh, and will continue to. Uh, Rich has been leading one of our sites. We're a multi-site church now in Brighton. We have four locations, and Rich has been leading a growing site in the center of a very uh, up-and-coming urban area in the city with loads of new people moving in, done a great job of reaching out to many young families and many people living near him. They, they are real missionaries. They love people. They love the Lord. They love the Word. And they want to see people brought into Jesus' kingdom. And they want to see churches established. So I'll have a little more to say about Rich before we finish. As I say, I'm going to invite him up to, to share a few of his words. But uh, the reason I give you all that bit background is to give you an idea of where I want to go with, with the time I have with you today. I'm, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about God's mission and the the... Uh, the, the love that God has for cities and the love that God has for the people in cities and the potential power uh, that is locked up in cities if we if we are able to affect them as God uh, wants us to with the gospel. And so this will apply to Fredericton. Uh, it will apply also to other places that you guys are wanting to plant into. And it will also apply to uh, Rich and Natalia who, as they go off to Ottawa. So there's a lot of There's a lot of uh, applications to where I want to go. And the the passage of the Bible that I'm going to read from to frame this is from Acts chapter 19. So if you have a Bible with you, you might want to turn. The book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. And I'm only going to read the first 20 verses of Acts 19. This is one of my all-time favorite chapters in the Bible. It is uh, uh, one of the most exciting uh, examples of how Christianity stormed the world. It it was in uh, only a few decades that... Christianity, which began in a tiny rural kind of peasant community in Israel, spread itself right across the Roman Empire and touched down in key urban centers, one after the other after the other. Ephesus was one of the major cities of the ancient world. It was, it was huge, it was influential, it was well-placed, and it was, uh, it was somewhere where the gospel shook the society and the culture powerfully. I had the privilege of going to what's left of Ephesus uh, a couple of years ago. Joe and Angela, were you there at this time? There was a couple of years of conference that, um, uh, that we had as New Frontiers leaders, and we, 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 we had the option of getting on a coach and going into the, the ruined city of Ephesus, what's left over of it. It's actually very well preserved, and you can walk around and see the places where Paul, who we're going to read about, uh, would have preached. And uh, it's fascinating just being there and seeing it. It's very hard to know precisely where he preached because uh, the Hall of Tyrannus, which I'm going to read about, is not there anymore. Neither is the synagogue. So we don't know exactly where he would have been. We do know that there is some public latrines that are left over. So we're pretty sure that's where well, I thought. I can imagine Paul may have led someone to Christ right here. We, we never know. Um, so, so there's a few places you can go. Um, but but it's, uh, it's amazing to see these places and, and it brings them to life. But let me, let me read to you from Acts 19. that says this. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted the value of them and, it, and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for this story of the power of the gospel to shake a community, uh, to change lives, to, uh, to establish a new society called the church. We, we love the inspiration it brings, the hope it brings to us of what you could do uh, in our generation. And, and we do pray, Father, that whatever we do today and, and uh, however we share, in, whatever we share in today in the Scriptures, you will keep building mighty churches, you will keep uh, shaking society, you will keep establishing your reign in cities, and that we will have a part to play in that. Even we, weak Christians, people with all kinds of disqualifications and failings, Lord, you can use even us. And we pray you'd strengthen our hope, strengthen our resolve, give us courage. We pray for every one of us here today who, who uh, Lord, for, for whatever reason, feel on the edge of what you're doing, feel, feel on the edge of church, maybe even today here for the first time, confused, not really sure whether they can be included, not whether, really even sure whether you're even there. We pray, would you draw near to each one and... Lord, uh, draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 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 So this uh, city of Ephesus is a vital center of society, of life, population, uh, culture. And Paul, arriving on his own, uh, gathers this dozen, this little group of 12, and they begin a ministry. They start to teach the gospel to people, uh, first in the synagogue, and then in a, in a secular hall, the hall of uh, Tyrannus, a lecture theater in, in central Ephesus. Paul, preaching, teaching daily, debating, persuading, uh, begins to build a community of listeners around him, and a church is established, which has this extraordinary impact. I cut off halfway through the chapter. If you read this to the end of, of chapter 20, two chapters, You get to see the scale of what happened in Ephesus. It really became a a base for Christianity. One of the letters of the New Testament, Ephesians, is written to the church that blossomed here in Ephesus, this this vital city. So it it has so much to teach us about how uh, Christian truth can break in to communities. And uh, we, we want to see that happen. We want to see that happen in city after city after city. There is something very important about cities. Uh, we can see that as we read Scripture from beginning to end. Uh, it's, it's easy to um, miss this, partly because very often the work of God begins not in cities. It can often begin in very uh, small rural communities. You see in, in the in the case of Jesus himself, he was... Uh, Born in Bethlehem, a tiny little town, raised in Nazareth, which was a fairly ignored town uh, in Galilee. In fact, the, the slogan of the time was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a very despised little community with not much going for it, not recognized as important. And that's an important thing to remember because it, it sets us free from the snobbishness that can come from, from what we think are the important places. This, this is, if God has something to say, he will show up in, in this city. If God, if God is really important, he will, do, he will show up and do something new in this important city or this special place. God obviously cares and thinks that this city is more important than, than, than these small communities. We have to be careful. We can, we can misjudge things that way because God is, God is willing to work with very humble people people and he can begin something in a very humble place and he can, he can <laughs> uh, rather kind of uh, bring to nothing the, the things that seem very important in their own eyes. So we just have to be very humble before God. God can do whatever he wants, wherever he wants. We can have a great strategy to plant church in this place, on this place, in this place. Meanwhile, behind our back, God's doing something in a, in a farm somewhere that, 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 that no one even knew existed. He, he's, he's like that. He does that kind of thing a lot. But having said that, you have to notice the flow of the story. It's interesting that the book of Acts, which I've been reading to you, is written by Luke who takes time uh, in his gospel, the gospel of Luke, to describe how Jesus' life began in a very humble way. Shepherds, peasants all gathering around this little stable as Jesus is born, and and, uh, the word of God coming to this crazy prophet in the desert when all these great potentates are trying to gather power and authority. The Bible says that the word of God came to John in the desert. Luke is very keen on, on this characteristic of God being... Prepared to start in humble little places, but you read Luke from the end, from the beginning of Luke right up to the end of Acts chapter 28, where he finishes his writings, and you'll notice, along with me, that there's a, there's a direction it's going in. <clears throat> what starts in a small place goes towards the big places. What begins in a in a small village necessarily bears fruit in a mighty urban setting. The book of Acts finishes with Paul in Rome. Rome, which would have been seen as the center of the world. The great, mighty city of Rome. Luke is making a point. Uh, the gospel is, is made for cities. It must find its way there. It must find its way in these big urban arenas. It's, it's shaped for them. It's appropriate that it finds its way into those contexts. Let me give you uh, quickly... Uh, three reasons why that would be so. One is the internal reason, one is the external reason, and one is the eternal reason. So nice three uh, quick headings there to hang this on. The, The first reason that cities are important for the gospel is an internal reason. Very simply, cities are where there are lots of people and God loves people. Uh, someone put it like this if, uh, if there are more people in cities than there are plants and there are more plants in the countryside than there are people guess which place God is most interested in he, he is excited about places like this where there are many people tens of thousands gathered it, it excites him it stirs him why? because people are made in his image I'm not saying God doesn't love plants I'm sure he loves plants <laughs> but plants are not made in the image of God Jesus didn't die for the plants quite so much he, he did die for all creation, but, but a creation which is, which is stewarded by those who bear his image. He loves people. He wants to establish people. He wants to bring, as the book of Hebrews puts it, many sons to glory. You can include daughters. He, he wants to bring his, his, his offspring, children, to glory. He loves People, if you've ever been in a big crowd, you ever been in a, in a big environment, or just I don't know, watch the Olympic ceremony on the on the TV every four years when it comes around. See the nations pouring into the stadium, and see the, the peoples of the earth represented. Uh, you may get a sense of emotion. You may feel a little choked up, thinking, "Isn't it extraordinary the different peoples that make up this great this great human race?" Well, think how God feels. He's stirred with a love for people. And cities are bases of population. They're places where a lot of people come together. Therefore, they have, they have a place in God's heart. We had the privilege while we were in Chicago of spending time with the pastor of Willow Creek, uh, which is a famous church. I guess most of you would have heard of it. Uh, Bill Hybels' church, we spent time, just a few of us, it was a real privilege, just a, a few leaders uh, listening to him, answering questions. And somebody asked a question about, you know, what, what is it that you uh, uh, wish you could achieve uh, in your lifetime that you still haven't achieved? And most people would look at Bill Hybels and think, this guy has achieved a lot. He's a, he's a remarkable leader. He's started a church in his neighborhood when he was in his 20s. Uh, just a few friends together, they started to reach out to their neighborhood, literally just a handful of people. Yeah, it gathers on a Sunday now up to about 30,000 people, uh, and they have an auditorium that seats 7,000. I mean, it is a little crazy, a little bit freaky, a little bit mind-blowing. <laughs> I just kind of popped my car, it felt like Disneyland. It was like, this isn't... This isn't, this isn't a church. This is like a theme park. But, but you walk in and you think, the scale, what's been achieved. And, and many people come from all over the world or write books about this guy and say, what an achiever, what great things he's done. Look how many people he's brought in to the kingdom of God. But listening to Bill, it was interesting. His, his comment was almost the opposite. He says, I just think of my city. I think of the nine million who live in Chicago. He says, what's 30,000? That's nothing. It's those people, there's those people that we must reach. There's still the multitudes, the majority that are still walking without Christ. So if, if a church of 30,000 existed in Fredericton, you might think, Wow! Amazing! But you know that would still be the minority. That would still be the minority. The majority of the people in this city are, are without Christ. The need, the, the need for churches and communities that, that draw people in, to Jesus' kingdom is massive. That is a huge thing. And churches must be committed to reaching the people where they are. It's very dangerous, by the way, when we start talking about church planting, mission, nations, cities, ends of the earth. You know, the worst thing that can happen is churches can think that mission happens out there, over there, somewhere over there, in a different place from here. Mission is when you go somewhere else. Well, much as I I want to encourage you to consider prayerfully supporting churches that we start in other places, listen, mission happens here where there are people in this city. You have tens of thousands. If you just reach this city well, you are doing mission big time. You are on the cutting edge of mission if you just reach this city well. I know that's in your heart, but I want to encourage you to pursue it well, wholeheartedly. Paul gave himself to this city of of, of Ephesus for years. He poured himself into it with just steady, regular, the Bible says daily uh, time in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Just pouring out the gospel in this one location. It's a fascinating strategy, by the way. Just staying in one place, committed to focusing on this group. Before that, it was the synagogue. It's interesting. Only a few, a few comments on this, but it's worth it. He starts with the people who know a little bit about God already. That's a clever move. Sometimes we think evangelism is when you go to the people who are most different to you. And that's good, that's noble, that's not bad, but we can be a little foolish. We think, well, real mission is when you go to people who are the really hard cases but really hard cases. And you think, if we just reach them, then we're really on mission. Not necessarily the best place to start. Sometimes there's some low-hanging fruit that God is just saying, if you just reach the people that are right here, that would be okay. See, I know a lot of churches, including the church that I lead now, which I would say a few years ago we were in the stage where we did loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of ministry all over the city to serve the poor, to, to, to do uh, urban uh, renewal work, to do all kinds of stuff to, to reach out to children and to reach out to, to young people. Loads of activity, 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 activity. We didn't really see a lot of those people who reached out to save and added to the church. Meanwhile, every Sunday, we'd have dozens of people show up and just watch, but we didn't notice them. (laughs) We didn't think about the people that God was bringing to the place where we were. Sometimes, you know, we're so excited about the apple on top of the tree that we're prepared to prop up a shaky ladder and risk falling and breaking our neck just to get that one apple. There's these low-hanging apples that we could just pull off, you know? There's loads of fish on the deck that if we just kind of bagged them quick enough, we could take them home. But we want to we go out and fish for the big you know, the big stuff out here. Wait a minute, there's, there's, there's all these people that God brings along. Sometimes just what we do, and we do it regularly and well on a Sunday, we, we may have no idea how many people God is bringing to us. And God will bring to us if we keep doing it well, like Paul did it well in Ephesus. Gave himself to a location, he built it up. He it, got a reputation for explaining things well to people and adding them to a community, and it thrived. Good strategy. So communities like the church must always be, where, whatever time of the month, uh, time of the week, whether it's on a in a small group or on a Sunday morning, there must be places where the newcomer can come in and feel like, yeah, these people they get me, they know me, and they, they want to explain things to me. It's friendly. It's friendly. It's welcoming. It's it's. Transparent. It's intelligible. I had a uh, a friend said to me, first time I came to this church, the the uh, the only person that spoke to me said, "You're in my chair." (laughs) It was the only thing that he got said, anything that got said. This is many years ago. I I I hope it doesn't happen anymore. You're allowed to say that if you're the drummer. Okay, that's that's. That's reasonable, but, but, but generally that's not, not the best way to welcome people. Uh, I mean, welcoming, explaining, like you did this morning with the, the song in, in, in a different language and then the excellent explanation afterwards. So important that people feel like, yeah, I know, I get, I get what you're about. And I'm, I'm like Paul, he created this environment where things were explained and done well. Anyway, this is huge. This is how we do mission. We reach out to the many people because God loves people because cities are full of them. There's an external reason. So that was the first, the internal reason. Just moving on quick to the external reason. The, the city itself is more influential than we sometimes realize. Cities can have more influence beyond their own borders than they have within their borders. What happens in a city can go further, can go wider. Because it's a, it's a center of lots of things. It's a center of life. It's a center of commerce. It's a center of education. It's a center of of different professions. This city, you've got two universities, you've got, you've got a, this is a base for all kinds of life. There's people that come to the city for a season before going off somewhere else. That's strategic. If you reach those people, you're reaching the world. You, you, you touch it and you, you spread it spread out, it's like throwing a rock into the middle of a big lake, the ripples can go wider and wider and wider, they get transmitted. You know, cities are so appropriate for the gospel. The gospel kind of needs cities, just like Ryan's guitar needed that amplifier this morning. If Ryan wasn't plugged in this morning, no one would have noticed how brilliant he was. We would have all just kind of wondered what this guy was doing with his hand. Electric guitars, that's kind of like what the gospel is. It needs to get plugged into a city because a city is like an amplifier. It's like, oh, okay, now I see it. When when the gospel breaks in on a city, it kind of does special stuff. It, 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 It goes far and wide. The sparks go all over the place into different professions, different communities, different offices, different factories, different schools and colleges and families and neighborhoods. It's built for cities. In fact, cities are built for the gospel. They don't realize it, but they are. The first people that came up the St. John's River and stopped here and thought this might be a place for a for a city one day, they had no idea, but God was planning it. That's exactly, I'm not making up, that's what the Bible says. You go back a page in your Bible, get to Acts 17, where Paul's talking to the Athenians. He says, God made, verse 26, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Do you get the logic of what Paul's saying? He's saying, where, you, where you live is not an accident. God planned the boundaries. I live in Fredericton. You know, I, just happened, I just rolled up here. I just happened to just, you know, this is where I ended up. And my family is from here, or I came to school here, or I, 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 you know, I set up my business here, and this is the best place to come. It just worked out that way. Wrong. God allotted the boundaries. God sets you in place. Now, he can use whatever he wants. He can use a university, he can use a trade, but he'll get you where he wants you. The reason you're in this building today is because God wanted you here. God wanted you to hear about his son, Jesus. And God brought you to Fredericton so that you'd hear about his son, Jesus. He uses cities. He uses the He he, so that people might reach out to him. God plans it. God purposes it. So we, we think, oh, I just, this is a, the fish seems to be biting in this part of the river, so we'll just put a camp here hundreds of years ago. Let's, let's put some tents up here. God's saying, okay, let's get ready. Let's get ready. Let's, let's, I've got a dream for a city because it's going to have huge implications for the gospel long term. And, and really, the cities of the West are now the places where the gospel needs to penetrate because the cities are where the culture tends to go. They're the cradles of culture. The cities like Fredericton, but like Ottawa as well, capital cities, places with with uh, influence through government, through through the arts and through uh, uh, commerce and various different things, places where we're willing to plant churches, you guys dreaming and praying about Halifax and other bases like that and Vancouver over in, in British Columbia, the, these places, they have disproportionate influence. If the gospel penetrates, it will go, it will fan out wider and wider and wider and God knows we must see that happen. Because right now, the culture is being dragged in a completely different direction by these cities. Secularism, humanism, worldviews that, that are completely uh, empty of any eternal purpose and meaning. It's, it's because of what goes on in the cities, in the universities, and places like that, that the culture itself is so far from God, so secular. So to turn the tide, we need to build churches that go in a different direction. That's what's in our heart. We, we're praying as a, a church back in our city in Brighton in the U.K., and, and we're saying, God, speak to us. And God began to lead say, I, w- I want you to plant churches in five key cities. It was a remarkable prophetic word we had about three years ago as a team of leaders. And so now we have a couple of churches in Berlin, a church in Amsterdam. And now we're going to Ottawa with Richard and Natalia. Because we're feeling like these are places that if, we can, if the gospel breaks in here and you start to win people's hearts to the gospel, gradually, the more and more we plant churches in these places, the more and more the culture gets caught up behind it. And lives are changed in the right direction. The culture feels the impact of, of the gospel. So there are external reasons as well. Third, third, and, and uh, reason I'll come up with in a moment, but I'm going to just ask Rich to come up and talk a little for himself and, and um, introduce himself. I guess many of you may know him, but I'm sure many of you don't as well. So maybe you could just give a really warm welcome to Richard.
0: Thank you. I can't uh, begin to tell you how much of a privilege it is to, uh, to be able to be here with uh, you this morning. I'm a Fredericton boy. Uh, spent uh, probably 23, 24 years of my life uh, in this city. Uh, I've had great relationships with people uh, in this church over many, many years. And uh, there's so much that I could say about that. But I just want to start by saying a massive thank you uh, to this church. Many of you in this room uh, will not know the impact that this church has had Uh, on my life um, over over many years, and I am so, so grateful. So to be able to stand here uh, for my wife, Natalia, uh, who I think is at the back with our daughter, Zara, for us to be here as a family, uh, to be with uh, my dad and uh, my sister and her family, my dad's wife, Judy, who have joined you in fellowship here. Uh, you guys are just amazing. So thank you for all that you have done, not just for me, but for our family. You are a tremendous, tremendous blessing uh, to us. I've just got a few minutes to share with you, not not too long before Joel uh, comes back up. Uh, but I just want to quickly tell you a little bit about my own story uh, in in. This city. I, I grew up uh, in a Christian home with, with Christian parents who loved me and raised me in God's ways to incredible, incredible uh, people, my father and my mother. Uh, but I was also raised in some other environments that uh, through a number of uh, conversations and circumstances and all sorts of things, I kind of fell into the trap of thinking that God was a judge and only a judge. And I, I came to a place where I thought, if I keep the rules, if I just keep the rules, if I don't do the sex, drugs, rock and roll stuff, then I'm good to go, and then I'm fine. And that the good Christian teenager in Fredericton doesn't touch that stuff, and if he doesn't touch that stuff, he's loved by God, and he's good to go, and God will bless him. But it's conditional on whether he is the good Christian boy. And it was through moving uh, to the UK, through the influence of this church, and Dave and Rosie Fellingham, who many of you know, that I started to sit under the teaching of, of this man, Joel, who you're hearing from today, and many others, including Dave, and many others. And I heard about something called grace. I heard about something called uh, the true gospel. I heard that Jesus Christ had done everything for me to be accepted by God. And I know some of you in the room are nodding your heads going, yeah, we, we know this truth. And I know you do. I know you do. But let me tell you, that transition has meant li- It has taken me from death to life in every conceivable sense. It's been absolutely amazing. And my relationship with God is, is now a son to a father rather than somebody kind of in the dark and kind of on trial as a criminal to a judge. And that, transform, that transformation for me, and, and even, I was saying to my wife, Natalia, yesterday, we, uh, we were driving downtown. We went for a walk across the uh, the walking bridge. She said, how is it being back in the city? I said, it's weird. It's really weird. Kind of Looking around the city and seeing so many things that remind me of an older version of me. And I know that there's an enemy that was, that, that's right there when those thoughts go through my head. And he was just wanting me to think right away, Rich, you don't, you don't deserve your marriage. You don't deserve your daughter. You don't deserve your family. You don't deserve the people that you're working with in Brighton. You don't deserve what I'm getting ready, uh, God's getting ready for in Ottawa. But I just, again, what do I have to come back to? I have to come back to the gospel. Jesus has done everything. I absolutely deserve it because he's earned it for me. Not because I've done anything to earn it myself. Because he's earned it for me. There's one verse, Joel was uh, talking about this letter that Paul's written to the church in Ephesus. It's called Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is all by God's choosing, it's by God's design. there have been times in my life where I've thought, it must be arrogant for me to say that God has chosen me. It's not arrogant at all. It's God's choice. If it's God's choice, who am I to question it? Some of you even here in this room, maybe this is your first Sunday here with this amazing church. You know what? It could be that you're here because God has chosen you. You can think, oh, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm considering inviting God into my story. Flip it upside down, friend. God is inviting you into His He has a grand, grand story that is much greater than you trying to invite him into yours. Let me tell you quickly about the story that God is inviting Natalia and I and our family into in Ottawa. Ottawa, as many of you know, is an amazing city. Uh, Fredericton, uh, by some, is called Little Ottawa. Ottawa is 1.2 million people, two big universities, a river running right through the middle of it, people speaking English and French. You you see the similarities between Fredericton and Ottawa, the capital city of, of our country. And a city that very much needs the gospel. It needs the good news of Jesus Christ. And through the, uh, the eldership and the leaders in the church in Brighton, we're getting ready to be sent there. Joel said to me a number of years ago, he said, Rich, we want you to stay with us for quite a time yet. We want to, rate, we want to train you. We want to invest in you. And we want to send you as well as we possibly can. And let me tell you uh, that that eldership has stuck to their word. And we are so grateful for it. That doesn't end when we go to Ottawa. There, continues to be, there will continue to be regular, regular input. But that city is a city that, as you all know, uh, what happens in that city, decisions that are made in that city touch the rest of the nation. If we want to see the gospel go across this amazing country of Canada, the capital city of Canada has to be part of the story. It just has to be. It would be silly not to include it in that. By God's grace, there are some great churches in Ottawa. I don't want to present a scene as though there is nothing happening there. There is but one thing that we've been learning over the past few years is that right downtown, right in the very center of the city, there's a tremendous, tremendous need. And that's where we're going to move our family to, hopefully in uh, November, slightly dependent on the visa for, uh, for my wife, the timing of that, but right around November. I want to tell you just before I wrap up three really quick stories that I hope encourage you. They've encouraged our family as we've uh, had a few trips to Ottawa over the past few years. We had one day last summer. We went up to uh, we went to Ottawa and uh, we planned to be there with some friends and family came over for Canada Day. But on that trip, we had one day where, over the course of about two hours, three incredible things happened. The first one was this, we were walking from Parliament Hill, a friend had showed us, shown us around Parliament. And we were walking through an area called the Market and we ended up walking into an, a, 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 a quite a sizable low income area. And we looked across the street and a man had bitten his tongue and there was blood coming out of his mouth and covered his, the entire front of his shirt. And my wife Natalia, who's a doctor, she, she ran over and helped stabilize this man. It turns out that he was an alcoholic who, uh, who had uh, had a seizure, bitten his tongue and had, had a seizure and uh, Natalia stayed with him, helped stabilize him until the ambulance came. Natalia and I had been wondering, is she, as a doctor, is she going to be able to practice in Canada? The exams are expensive. There's loads of time in studying. Or can we even afford this? And I'm thinking, my wife is an amazing doctor. God has invested that in her. Is it right that I'm saying, well, look, we're going to move to Canada, and she might not be able to practice, and I'm wrestling with all of that. Walking away from that situation, I just felt God say to me, Rich, everything that your wife has in terms of knowledge and wisdom and ability in the medical field and anything else is a gift from me Mm. and it will not be put to waste. It might not fit the box that you think it will, but it will not be put to waste. What a tremendous encouragement that was. From there we went to a building. This is the second of three really key things that happened. We went to a building called the National House of Prayer. And uh, this is a a charity that exists in the city. They bring groups in uh, to teach them how to pray pretty much for MPs and politicians. Not just kind of coming in saying, this is everything you're doing wrong, but just genuinely wanting to serve them. Wanting to love those, uh, those men and women of, of real influence in Ottawa and across our country. And we went in, we went up the stairs to this building. It's in the former Chinese embassy. An amazing story about how this charity got the building. But we walked up the stairs of this former Chinese embassy and this couple opened the door. And as soon as I saw this man, God spoke to me and said, this man and his wife are struggling to conceive, but I know them, I remember them. And I thought, God, I, I don't want to bring that prophetic word. I've never met this couple. I'm going to be a pastor in this city. I don't even know if this guy believes, and we would call that a prophetic word that God speaks through other people. I don't, I don't even know what the guy believes about that. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so he's showing us around this building. His wife stayed downstairs, and I just can't shake it. And I said, God, if you want me to bring this word, you're going to have to make it really, really clear to me. So we end up on a balcony out on the side of this former Chinese embassy where this charity's based. And he said, let me tell you about how we got the building. And part of how they got the building was through a prophetic word. And as soon as he said it, I knew, well, this man believes in the prophetic. I've got to. So I just interrupted him. I said, man, I'm sorry. I said, God says that you and your wife are struggling to conceive, but he remembers you. He knows the situation that you're in. He loves you. And I believe that the next time that my wife and I see you, that you will have a child. That last part kind of slipped out. (laughs) I don't really know where it came from. And right away, he stepped right back. And he said, said, we've just had our latest uh, unsuccessful round of IVF. Uh, It's really hard. Could you pray for us? I said, yeah. Could we pray with your wife? His wife was downstairs. I said, could we pray with your wife as well? Uh, He said, if it's okay, could you just pray for me? Because this is so hard, particularly on her. I said, of course, we would love to. We prayed for them. And uh, two months later, found out they became pregnant. I tried to figure a way that I could show you, but I've got a picture on my phone that was sent to me the other day of their beautiful young girl. God is a gracious, gracious God. Mm, And the third of three things that happened, uh, just really quickly, uh, was we walked from there to a building called the Ottawa Little Theatre. It's a building that I found on Google uh, quite a few months before. And uh, it's, it's, I think, quite strategically located in the middle of a triangle. If you were to draw a line from Parliament Hill to the market, which is where there's a number of galleries and museums, kind of the cultural center of the city, to the University of Ottawa, okay, so kind of a triangle that way. There's a theater that sits right in the middle. So I was really excited about this theater. I wanted to go see this theater. So off we went after we had this amazing time at this uh, yeah, at, at this, um, this charity that I've just told you about. And off we went. We went in the door, and uh, somebody works in the theater said, can I help you? I said, oh, my wife and I were just wondering if we could have a quick look around the theater, please. She said, uh, she said, look, normally it wouldn't be a problem, but uh, we're setting up for a jazz festival uh, tonight, um, so it's not the best time, but maybe you can come back. I said, yeah, no problem at all. So we turned to leave, and then a guy came around the corner and said, oh, can I help you? I said, oh, well, your colleague just told us that uh, it's probably not the best time to look around the theater, but maybe we'll come back. He said, yeah, if that's all right. I said, yeah, no problem. So we turned to leave again, and he said, oh, just hang on a minute. I said, okay. He said, I know you from somewhere. I said, no, you don't. I, I, I said, uh, this is like my second time ever to Ottawa. Uh, I'm not from here. You must have me confused with somebody else. He said, no, I know that I know you from somewhere. And Natalia, my wife, was standing beside me, pointed at me, and she said, well, he grew up in Fredericton. He said, that's it. He said, we had a lecture together at St. Thomas University. This was eight years before in a city 600 miles away. I never met the guy at Stu, never met him, but he remembered that we shared a class together And uh, he had gotten a job at that theater as the communications director two months before our visit. So he said, I'll bring your, uh, bring your, your, um, the thing for the baby we called a a buggy. I'm, oh, this is horrible. I've lost my Canadian words. Look what they've done to me. (laughs) Stroller, thank you. Oh, so we brought the stroller around to the side of the building. He said, let me show you around. He took us around everywhere. Halfway through, he said, look, why are you so interested in the building? I said, well, look, my wife and I are going to move to the city. Uh, we, at the time, we thought it would be a couple of years away. So we're going to start a new church in this city. And I just wonder if this building might be part of the story. I don't know. And he got a business card out and he handed it to me. He said, look, when you get on the ground, uh, look me up. Let's see what we can do. I, I don't know whether he's a Christian or not. Don't know. Why am I telling you these three stories? God's grace is amazing. There's nothing that I've done, there's nothing that an Italian and I have done to earn the favor of God, but we have lived in and are living in the favor of God for this new church in Ottawa. I love Genesis chapter 3 where God says to the man and the woman, after, the, after they've believed the lie, they've done the one thing that God says not to do. What does God do when he shows up? He calls out, calls out to the man, and what does he say? Three amazing words that tell us about the grace of God right at the beginning of the book. Where are you? And God has been calling that out ever since. Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And today, the amazing thing is how does God seek and save the lost today? One of the ways that He does it is through His people. We have been invited into His story. That is what He has always been about. Natalia and I are excited for what God has for us in Ottawa. Please be praying for us. Uh, We'll be around up here after the service today. Uh, Unfortunately, it's a brief visit to Fredericton. We're flying out tonight. Um, But many in this room will have my contact details. And, of course, I'd be happy to share it if there's any other information that you would like. But, church, again, thank you so much for the input, the impact that you have had on my life, on the life of our family. I I, I don't know. You may never know. Uh, what god has already done with that and what i believe what i have faith he will continue to do with that with your investments so thank you uh, so much thanks rich
1: such encouraging stories really well told and uh, i don't know if everyone can see natalia and zara at the back there just i'm going to slightly embarrass her but just it's nice good for you to see where they are as well um, I said that there were three reasons why, why cities matter to God. One of them is the internal reason, lots of people in them. Second is the external reason, that they tend to have influence uh, in all kinds of ways. And then I, I wanted to get to this third and final one um, after Richard had spoken, uh, the eternal reason. Um, God's plan is for a city which is eternal. Um, so cities matter to God because uh, they're, they're kind of black and white versions of a, a city in color right. that he's going to have forever and ever. Yes. Um, you read the Bible, you read it from cover to cover, uh, which I encourage you to do. Uh, you'll notice that the, the the idea of a city keeps coming up all the time as though it's God's big dream. God has a big urban dream. Um, it, it, it starts to, to happen when uh, he calls... Uh, the first great believer, Abram, who begins begins his new kind of family on planet Earth and has all the children that, that come from him, that those who are uh, Abram's offspring are God's people and we're, we're his offspring by faith, not because we're all Jewish, but because we b- believe in the same God that Abram believed in. Well, the thing that Abram first saw was a city, an eternal city that God would build. And so the people who belong to, to God have that same ambition, a dream of an eternal city that we'll get to be part of. And uh, Jesus spoke to his disciples uh, in the book of Matthew, said, You are a city. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. God's people are are right now in this present age, not just one day when Jesus returns and restores everything and presents this brand new, perfect, sparkling new city, which we're all part of but even in this waiting stage we get to be the city of god on a hill so that people look at the church and it's like they're seeing how humanity should be done how should life be done how how should society community culture be done well look at the people of jesus the people of jesus they belong to the eternal city the city that's never going to pass away it's never going to be uh, shaken We belong to these passing cities like Brighton and Fredericton and Ottawa. They're important, but they're important as kind of replicas of something greater. And in this present time, we get to establish God's city in the midst of this world city. Now, I say all this to kind of present a bit of a challenge, because it is difficult for us. We live in between things. We live with our hearts beating for An eternal kingdom, an eternal city that God's building that we get to be part of and we love. If you're a Christian, you've learned to love that. You've learned to love even the church, which may take a while because when you come to to Christ, you you may first get excited about Jesus, but not so much the church. The church can be very off-putting for a long time, but gradually you begin to fall in love also with the church because the church is Jesus' people. And that's wonderful, but, but what about this, this, this passing age that we're a part of? Does it not matter? Do we just ignore it? Do we just go and live in the woods? Do we just. Who cares about this, this passing city? Jesus doesn't want that for us. He made that very clear. When he prays to his father in John chapter 17, he says, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. I don't want them to be out of the world. I want them to be in the world. But for us to be. Followers of Jesus means, therefore, that we have to be kind of citizens of two cities at once. Paul says to the Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, they knew all about uh, this idea because Philippi was a, a special city. It was a, it was a colony of the Roman emperor. And so he's saying to these people, just like you, the city of Philippi are an outpost of the, of, of Rome so you the church of Philippi are an outpost of God's heavenly city you ha- kind of have a dual citizenship, maybe some of you know exactly what that's like in, in even now you, you're kind of s- citizens of an eternal city and citizens of this present one one of the problems that leaves us with is uh, how do we treat this, this passing age how do we treat the city that we're in the city of, of Fredericton, how do, we, how do we treat the people, the relationships that we're in should we, should we be uh, looking to be ambitious? Should we, should we uh, get caught up in, in what the Bible calls worldliness? Well, we know we shouldn't because the Bible says in, in, in letters like 1 John, it says, don't love the world. Don't, don't love this passing age. Don't lose your heart to things that are going to be gone. Don't, don't let your mind, your imagination your ambitions get stolen away to things that they just won't be here for very long. They might feel important now, but they really aren't important because in eternity they won't even show. Don't, don't love this world, the Bible says. But it also says, famously, God so loved the world he gave his son. His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. What is the Bible saying? It's saying, don't you dare love the world. And then it says, God really loves the world. That's not fair. He gets away with it. That doesn't make sense. No, it, it depends what we mean by love, I suppose. See, there's a kind of love that is basically selfish. I can, I can love the world because really the, the world is, is basically how I stay happy. It's the thing I desire. It's the things I want. That's, that's what the Bible means by worldliness. I, 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 yeah, I could, I, I could even dress it up as a spiritual thing. Oh, I really, I, I really feel co- God's called me to this thing or that thing. But really, in my heart, basically in the end of the day, what I love is the things that are going to pass away. I've lost my heart. My heart is, is, is drawn in love for things that, that won't last. They, they, they're going to go. And it's, But it's a kind of selfish thing. It's, it's loving things that, that please me in the instant. They, they, they make me comfortable. They, they satisfy me. They're the things that I must have. I must have, you know, out of a kind of a, a craven desire, we can want things so much that really they become our gods. They become our idols. They become the things that we really want most of all. And, and, and the Bible says, don't love the world like that. Don't let the world, don't let this passing age become your idol, become your God. Don't do that. It's not good for you. It'll take you down. It will destroy you. It will make your life worthless. It will, it will wreck you in the end. The, the thing that we must do is, is have God set our hearts free so that our love is for him. We're free from the love of this world so that we're able to truly love the world. Not selfishly, not because we're needy, because we're dependent upon it. No, no, no. Our needs have been met by God. We're forgiven. We're loved. We're cared for by God. And so we're able to give ourselves freely, humbly. I say this because to really serve God on mission is not easy. If you read this part of the Bible that I read to you to the end, you'll notice Paul gets into some massive difficulties in Ephesus. It gets difficult. It gets difficult following Jesus in cities today. It's, it's, if you really want to follow Jesus in Fredericton, if Rich and Natalia and others are going to really follow Jesus in Ottawa, wholeheartedly, there will be so many excuses to pull out. There will be so many temptations, so many reasons to quit. So many reasons to think, well, it's, it's, it's just, maybe, maybe we shouldn't follow Jesus with our whole heart. Maybe, because, because it, it demands a certain kind of ruthless discipleship towards him. How do we do that? How do we do that? Do we do that with just willpower? Do we do that by just proving that we're better Christian than the person next to us? Well, I'm, I'm really devoted. I, I really am. I've got a what would Jesus do bracelet and everything. I really am. I'm I'm much more than that. I'm I'm really committed. Friends, that doesn't last at all. It doesn't work at all. Just trying to selfishly impress with our own willpower. What we need is to be living, just like Rich was saying, in the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. So that those things that we desire, the security, the peace, the love, that this passing world so often offers us, this passing age, says, here's some comfort. Here's some privilege. Here's some status. Here's a sense of importance. Yeah, we can offer you this. We can make you feel better. The world will keep offering you so many ways to feel secure and contented and feel comforted. And, and listen, friends, you must receive all of that from God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom, and righteousness, redemption, holiness. He's become everything that we need. And, and when you know Jesus Christ, and as you get to know him, and as you have what these men in Ephesus had in infillings with the Holy Spirit, as you receive from him, not just in meetings, but in your own time, as you draw near to him and receive his grace, enjoy his love for you, you, you're able to serve God in the midst of your job, in the midst of your family, in the midst of your career, in the midst of your work, Without being thrown by either the temptations of this passing age or the pains and the difficulties that can come from serving God wholeheartedly. What cities like ours need, cities like your city, my city, the city that Richard and Natalia will soon call theirs. What cities need is people who are actually living for another city. That's what they most need. And because they're living for another city and they know they've got both feet in it, they're both feet are secure in it. They're free. They're safe. They're in God's love. Because of that, they're able to serve the city that God's put them in wholeheartedly, trusting in God to keep them and steady them. It's like that with so many parts of life. I don't know what it's like for you with your giving, for example. Just, just top of my mind. I'm not saying this because uh, it was planned in my notes, but... The way that we give, the way that we're generous, the way that we are in just sharing the gospel, the way that we, even in your workplace, just being able to acknowledge that you're a Christian. That can seem a small thing, but for many of you, that's a huge thing. You haven't yet done that. Maybe you've changed jobs and your, your colleagues don't yet know that you're a Christian. That's a huge thing. We feel, oh gosh, what's going to happen? The world's going to cave in if I start sharing my faith or if I start giving to the church. Well, if your security is in this passing age, you're right. But if you're secure in a new city that's to come, an eternal city, man, you're fine. You're fine. Let the world do its worst. You're fine. And you'll find that you're serving those people better anyway in years to come as you stay secure in God. I remember when I was at, at, uh, as a student being so uh, pilloried and uh, abused and mocked because I was so fervent about following Jesus Christ. People, thought I was, people would constantly attack me in, in groups, in a kind of friendly, teasy kind of way. But I always noticed when it was just one-to-one, they would come back to me and ask me questions. Because they saw that my life was built on something stable. So the world can, can, can hurl abuse, but in reality they see something because you belong to an eternal city. Let's just pray together and then I'll hand back to Joel. Father, we we thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the rock that we can stand on. We thank you that he is building his church. And we thank you your word says that you will shake all things. But, Lord, you will shake so that what cannot be shaken will be seen and will remain. We thank you, God. We do live in a time of turmoil increasingly. We think of the, the, the pain that uh, Christians are going through in all different parts of the world, whether it's through quite, uh, Lord, brutal persecution in some places, or whether it's just a subtle drift towards secularism and antagonism towards the faith, Lord, in our part of the world. We've, we feel uh, on the edge. We feel marginalized. We feel like, well, do we even belong in this city? Are we going to get sent out of this city? We thank you. We have a city that is eternal, and because we do, we want to serve this current place that we're in. We want to love it. We want to build something glorious for you in it. We, we pray establish churches here in Fredericton and in other parts of Canada. We pray for the guys going to Ottawa. We pray for the guys going to other cities. We pray establish the rule of Christ through people who, who, don't, who don't dwell in, in desperate need of worldly approval but are secure because of Jesus Christ and they're able to serve wholeheartedly. Teach us this way. Holy Spirit, in as much as we, we, we depend on you for this, and we think of these dozen men that met with Paul, and you filled them with your power. You filled them with the Holy Spirit. So keep filling us, Lord God. I pray for mighty engagement with God in our lives, in our, even as we go to work. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Speak to us. Speak through us. Prophesy through us. Just I love that story of Rich speaking your words to a stranger and bringing transformation to their lives. Lord, give us words from heaven. Give us courage to speak them uh, faithfully to people so that we can see lives change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.